Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you again for our time together. It is a tremendous honor that you give us by allowing Sister Bev and Shaw and I to to come into your home every day and just share with you the Word of God and worship and prayer. It's a great honor. You don't have to do this. You could be doing a lot of other things, but you've opened wide your heart to us as we have opened our hearts to you, as Paul teaches. So thank you. We are under modified enhanced quarantine, so there will be no face-to-face services this week, but we will uh, tape a uh, Sunday service that will be playing out, and we will have four drive-in services in two locations, Saturday morning at 7.30 and 9.30, Sunday morning at 7.30 and 9.30, both at South Campus and at Main Campus, we will have drive-in services, both campuses. Now, Two things to remember. Number one, you cannot get out of your car. Did I say you can't get out of your car? Yes, you cannot get out of your car, okay? So we'll keep the services right at one hour. In Jesus' name, I'll preach really, really short, but we'll keep the services right at one hour, and then you can go back home and use the CR. And you need to remember to call ahead to your district pastor or your campus pastor and reserve a slot. We'll see you there. As we get ready to turn our attention to worship and prayer and to the Word today, we always open with Psalms chapter 91. These are foundational promises of the faithful God in a season of darkness. So let's open our hearts for the recitation. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but none will come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. He will command his angels concerning you and to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample upon the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. When I sit down with couples in marriage counseling, I tell them, you're probably both going to be mad at me by the time this is finished. I said, because there are times you're going to think I'm on her side, and there are times you're going to think that I'm on his side. Because my role is to help the two of you understand each other and learn to listen with your heart, not just listen with your ears, to listen to what people are trying to say but may not be able to say properly. May I say the same thing to all of you that are so upset on both sides of this thing about the lockdown? Now, let me today talk about the medical professionals, and then we're going to pray for them. When I was a young man, I worked in the hospitals. I spent one semester in high school as an orderly in a small 120-bed provincial hospital, in which I did everything from draw blood to read EKGs to clean up the dead bodies. Okay, I mean, you know, when you're in a little hospital, you you kind of do everything. 
But I remember the first man I ever watched die. He had diabetes and his legs were completely eaten with open wounds. And it was my one of my jobs every day to clean those wounds while he cried and screamed because it was very painful. So he and I developed a little bit of a relationship. And one day I came in for my 3 to 11 shift after high school and he was dead. That messed up my brains. I had to clean the body, prepare it for the funeral company to come. I had to fog the room. The second one was watching a man die of drunkenness, I guess is what you'd say. He pickled his liver and he suffocated in his own vomit. I, I will never forget those things. But what the young people are doing right now, what young doctors and what nurses are doing right now, watching people die like flies in these hospitals, watching the pain and suffering, that is very difficult on their young hearts. So they're not only putting in crazy hours, 36 hour shifts and things like this, they're, they're seeing things that you wished they'd never have to see. So I want us to pray today, not just for those people who are covered in sweat when they come out of a PPE. You and I will all look at that and go, okay, that's just, that's just the job. But the damage to the soul of the things that they are seeing, the people gasping for breath and saying, I just want to die, I can't breathe. These are the things of nightmares. So maybe we should be a little bit more understanding of what some of these people are going through, what some of these doctors and what some of these nurses are going through. And I, I want to encourage you, we're asking at COP, we're asking that all of our medical professionals give us their pictures. And we're going to put those pictures out in connect groups. And we're going to have a connect group just be an umbrella of prayer over those people as they go through these days. So if your connect group is wanting to be a part of that, please contact your district pastor, pop me a message or whatever, and we'll get you a picture of one of our young doctors, one of our young nurses, one of our young medical technicians, and let you as a group begin to pray for them every day and just, just cover them in prayer. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We lift you all of our doctors, our nurses, our med techs, all the people that work in the hospitals. Lord, they're tired. They're worn out. They've been fighting this battle for six months now. They're not eating properly. They're sleeping on floors. Father, life has been very difficult, and they've been very young. And Father, whereas their physical bodies are strong, they're seeing things that nothing prepared their soul to have to see. They're hearing things that nothing can prepare a soul to have to hear. Father, I ask for your grace. I ask for your mercy to rest upon these young people, these young doctors, these young nurses, these young med techs, all of these young people working in the hospital. Father, especially the young ones. The older ones, they've gotten a little bit more used to it, but Father, let your hand be upon them also. Father, as they lift their souls to you, young and old alike, heal their souls, restore their souls. Father, we ask not just for physical strength. We ask for strength within their souls, that you strengthen them within their inner beings, Father, that they will be able to continue to be a source of encouragement and a source of faith and a source of hope as they speak to people. And Father, that there be no nightmares. That Father, every night as they lay their head on a floor or a bench or a chair or a desk, that, Lord, you'd give your beloved sleep. And that, Lord, they would be sweet sleep. No nightmares, nothing, no terrors of the night. Father, let them rest well. 
And Lord, watch over them. Let sickness and disease be far from their bodies. Let them be physically strong, Father. Let their immune systems be supercharged. Let the angels of God guard them in all their ways. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Yes. 
Our New Testament passage today picks up in the book of Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And let me remember to click on my little button real quick. All right. We who are strong, all right? So Paul places himself with the strong. So Paul thinks of self as strong. Now, that, that is not ego, that is not pride. He just says, we who are strong have an obligation, we have a debt to bear with, to tolerate the failings of the weak. Now remember, the weak are the argument. They like the fuss. Okay, they like the fuss. The weak like the fuss. The weak are always pushing their opinions, okay? So he said, listen, these failings, this constantly wanting to fuss and fight. He said, let's just learn to put up with this. We, we can take a punch, all right? And not to please ourselves. He said, we're not, we're not trying to do this because we want to please ourselves. If we wanted to please ourselves, we wouldn't hang around with these people who just have to shoot their mouth off and fight and argue and sit in judgment on us all the time. He said, you know what? We who are strong, we have a debt to bear with these failings, this argumentative spirit, this sitting in judgment on us of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we have two things we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be building them up, and we're supposed to be doing this for their good. For Christ did not please himself, all right? So Christ, our example. Now, let this is purpose. Building them up for their good, that's purpose. Christ is our example. Because as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. So Jesus said, you know what? I took the punches. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement, these are important words, of the scriptures we might have hope. Now, I want you to notice Old Testament, okay? The Old Testament is for our, number one, instruction, number two, to give us endurance, and number three, to give us encouragement. And the purpose of this is so that we can have hope. Now, now this is why it amazes me, these, these modern Christian churches that say, you don't need to read the Old Testament because that's not applicable to you. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, you know what? These things were written for our instruction, endurance, and encouragement. And if we read those things, we'll have hope. Have you ever noticed how much encouragement you get? You, you look at some of those guys in the Old Testament and you realize that how God forgave them and how God kept using them. You look at those guys in the Old Testament and you realize how, just like you, they're not perfect, but God still blessed them. God still answered their prayers. I mean, just you go through it all and we get instruction, we get endurance, and we get encouragement. And you, you put those together and we get hope. He said, now may the God of endurance and encouragement, two names of God. Now, this should not surprise us because God is the author of the Old Testament. So, okay, two names of God. So he authors endurance and encouragement, all right? Grant you 
to live in such harmony with each other in accord with Christ. Grant you, this is a gift. It is a gift of God to live in harmony with each other. I like that. That you together, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Instead of arguments, one voice of worship. He said, now that's only going to happen if the strong recognize their debt to the failings of the weak. That's not going to happen because of the weak. That's going to happen because those of you who are strong in faith say, you know, I have a debt to these people and I can take a punch and I can take their insults and I can take their argumentative spirit. I, I can take all of this. Therefore, welcome one another <laughs> because of all of this. When you see a therefore, okay, when you see a therefore, because of all of this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, again, Christ, our example. And Christ, our example in how he treated you. Now, forgive me, compared to Christ, our faith is... Um, very weak. And compared to Christ, we are very argumentative and we are very judgmental. But Jesus had an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And just like Christ welcomed us, we, we should welcome these people that are weak in their faith, that are argumentative. We, we should welcome these people. For I tell you that Christ became a servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises made to the patriarch. All right, so one purpose of Christ's life. One purpose of Christ's life was to show God's truthfulness, and number two, confirm the promises. Ah, so we could also say this is the purpose of a leader. As a leader, we show God's truthfulness, and we show God's promises. <laughs> That's, you can meditate on that for about 10 hours. In order, here's purpose, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now notice, we're going to start, and let me just highlight them all at once. Gentiles, 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 Gentiles. Okay. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. So here is the Jew. And now the rest of this is Gentile evangelism, local church, prophesied. Old Testament prophecies talking about God's work among the Gentiles in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing, your, sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So this is Jew and Gentile. And again, praise the Lord, all you his Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. 
One more Gentile. Missed that one. Whoops. One more Gentiles. Now, in him the Gentiles will hope. Now notice, Jesus rules the Gentiles just like Jesus rules the Jews. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. All right, so God's title, the God of hope. What does God do? God's work. God fills us with all joy, peace in believing. We only get peace with God as we believe in Jesus Christ. God's purpose, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So touch of the Holy Spirit, you put all joy and all peace, touch of the Holy Spirit, and you abound in hope. This is what you call attitude adjustment. And some of you need one of those right now. Sorry. <laughs> okay. An attitude adjustment. You're discouraged. You're dismayed. You're despondent. You come to the God of hope. He fills you with all joy. He fills you with peace. Touches you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And the next thing you know, you are overflowing with hope. <laughs> and all of a sudden, your attitude is different. You have a positive expectation of future good. See, moving from negativity to hope is not a mind over matter thing. Moving from negativity to hope is the effect of God's touch upon your life. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. If you want more happy, then your heart will hold. If you want to stand taller in the truth we're told, take whatever you have and give it away.
Testament passage today begins a brand new book, the book of Esther, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now, in the days of Asherahs, and the Asherahs who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, in those days when King Asherahs sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and media, and the nobles, and the governors of the provinces were before him. Okay, so this is a big gathering. This is a gathering of all leadership. While he showed the riches of his royal glory, the splendor, the pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days, this was a time to show off. So he was showing off, okay? 
Now you have to remember this is the motive. The motive is to show off because that affects where we're going now. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So this is for great and for small. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. All right, so let's call this open bar, okay? We will call this open bar. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. All right, so this is not a law. This is not worship. Now, we have to specify that because in ancient days, like when you worshiped the goddess Dionysus, you had to get drunk. Okay, I mean, part of worship in some of those days was the losing of your senses and your control of self. So the king said, there is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. So if you wanted to get totally blasted, you could get totally blasted. If you didn't want to drink, you just wanted to do water, that was fine too. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Asherias. These would be the harems. Now notice, these women belonged, okay? These were women who were owned by Asherahs. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, everybody say tipsy. Now, we're not saying he's totally blasted drunk, but he is tipsy. So he is not in full control of, of what I would say higher functions, okay? His decision-making ability has been um, decimated. Now, my, my father, for much of my life, was a salesman. And my father used to tell me that, now, Dad wasn't a Christian at the time, but he was a man who tried to do what was right. But he said, you know, there are many salesmen, they, they want to take the owners of companies, and they want to take purchasing managers, and they want to take VPs out and get them drunk, because that's how you get them to sign the contract. You take advantage of them, when they're not in full capacity, okay. And he commanded Mahulam, Bezda, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abbaktha, Vethar, and Karkas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, Asharis, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now. Notice, she is in a party, okay? She is in a party. She is hosting. She's pulled out of something that she is hosting on behalf of the king. And it says, we want you to parade before the men. Now, the ladies are with her. The men are with him. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this. Now, I can't show it to you from scripture, but... Um, to put it politely, uh, historians tell us and uh, cultural studies tell us that um, she was going to be paraded about rather indecently. In other words, he wanted to show off 
how beautiful she was physically. How indecent? I don't know. But this was, this is what we would call not something that looked nice in front before drunk men. Before men who are drunk. Now all the women are with her. So he's wanting her to come out to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. So this is, say it politely, this is probably some indecent exposure that is expected of her. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. He was embarrassed. Now, a good man would recognize you are embarrassed your own fault. I mean, it's, it's his own fault, okay? He, he needed to recognize, whoops. He needed to recognize that he was doing something that was embarrassing. And you know what? She didn't want to do it. So sometimes, guys, we tell our wives to do things and we're really, really angry, but you know what? It's our own fault. Thank God our wives have a little dignity. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in judgment, law and judgment. And the men who sat next to him, Chashena, Shetar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marises, Marcina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Meda, who saw the king's face and sat first in the king's room. So this is his top inner circle. So he looks at these guys. He said, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Asherah delivered by the eunuchs. Then Memukan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has the queen done wrong, but against all the officials and all the peoples who are in the provinces of the king Asherah. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Asherah commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. Okay, so they say, can't have the example. Now, you know what? In one sense, okay. Okay, true, but... And you got to have a big butt here. You know, what's to be done to the king for making such a horrible request? Okay, I mean, yeah, I understand the sentiment here. And I understand, okay, she's an example to all the other women. And I understand, I understand, I understand. But what about the fact that what he was doing to her was not right? His request was not valid. This is not a valid request. This is a request that is born, remember what we said earlier, this is a request that was born out of showing off. This is a request that is born out of drunkenness. Okay? So we, we have to take a look at this and go, you know, hey, there's two sides to this. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media, who will have heard the queen's behavior, will say the same to all the king's officials. And there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. Contempt by the women and wrath by the men. He said, we're going to have a lot of marriage fights going on. Now, again, 
I get it. But, you know, maybe the king should have stepped up and said, you know what, I was wrong. Maybe I owe Vashti an apology. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it may not be repealed, that Vashti is never again to come before King Ashereth, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, both high and low. Okay, now here's the question. Is this honor or fear? There's a question. And I think we recognize this is not honor, this is fear. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memukan proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces and to every province in his own script and to every people in his own language, that every man be master of his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Every man be master in his own household. Now, you know what? The Bible teaches us that a husband is the head of the family. But it's not about domination. This, very different than God's teaching. God's teaching is mutual submission. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of respect for Christ. And then it says... Wives, submit to your husbands. But first, there's mutual submission. Chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ashworth had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he decreed against her. Wow. Okay, regrets. <laughs> it's regrets time. He remembered Vashti. He remembered what she had done. And he remembered what had been decreed against her. He remembered three things. Okay. And he's lonely. And he's got some regrets. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to a harem in Susa the capital, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. And let the young, women who the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashti. This pleased the king, all right? Because of his face, he can't go back. Because of his face and the law that he decreed, because you cannot repeal a law of the Medo-Persians, that was one of their things, uh, he's lonely and he can't go backwards. So they said, hey, here's a solution. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away when Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther. Hadassah is her Jewish name. The daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. All right, so she is adopted. 
The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. She's adopted. Own daughter. Now notice, not a slave in the house, not a servant in this house, as his own daughter. She's fully adopted. So when the king's order and his edict was proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in the custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken to the king's palace and put in the custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young women pleased him and won his favor. The young woman pleased him, this is the eunuch, and won his favor. Now notice, favor is won. It's not just given, sometimes it's won. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and the young women to the best place in the harem. Now, this is favor. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred that she is a Jew. For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. He loved her. He loved her as a daughter. Watched over her every day. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Esherus, after being 12 months under the regulations of women, since this was a regular period for their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for the women. This was to clear up their skin. When the young women went into the king in this way, um, please forgive me, but read uh, sex, okay? When they came in for the one night to go into, this is sex, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem, in the custody of Shashkuz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. All right, so she's already had sex with the king. No other man is allowed to touch her now. She's considered a concubine of the king. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Again, favor is won by actions. By actions. And when Esther was taken to King Ashereth in his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tabeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she won grace and favor in his sight. So she won again. Favor is won more than all the other virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted remissions of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts of royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the, at the king's gate. Esther had not made known to her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she had been brought up by him. So the queen still 
obeys. Just as when she had been brought up by him. So an adopted child obeyed, and now that she's queen, she still listens to her daddy. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Begthan and Teresh, two of the king's units, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on the kings. All right, so you have two eunuchs. Now, what is a eunuch? A eunuch is a man who has had his private parts cut off, okay? That way he will never have sex with any of the king's harem or concubines. They sought to lay hands on the king. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, who told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. She gave credit. She gave credit. Now, this was important, as you'll see later. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, both the men were hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these days, King Ashereth promoted Haman. Now, here's one of the central figures. The Agite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. All right, so he is now second in command. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Now, you have to understand, Jews and Christians only bow to God. Now, by that, I'm not referring to, um, you know, we, we, we bless or we show respect. I'm talking about bow down in servitude. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, <laughs> they told Haman in order to see what Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. Okay, his pride was pricked. Okay, he got his pride pricked. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all of the Jews and the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ashereth. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ashereth, they cast poor, that is, they cast lots. Now, you wonder where we get the Feast of Purim from? This is, this is the story. They cast poor, Purim, before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ashereth, There are certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They have the law of God. And they do not keep the king's laws. That's not true. So that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Not true. Remember, he has already had his life saved because of a Jew named Mordecai. So remember, when people are out to get you, when people are out to discredit you, they're going to lie and exaggerate. Welcome to life. If it pleases the king, let the decree be that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 of talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it in the king's treasuries. So the king took the signet ring off his hand and gave it to Haman the Agite, the son of Hamatha, the enemy of the Jews. 
And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you. The people also do, to, do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month and an edict according to all that Haman commanded and was written to the king's satraps and to the governors all over the provinces and to the officials of the people, to every province in his own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ashereth and sealed with the king's signet ring. Okay, so now everybody must obey. Letters were sent by couriers to all the provinces with the instruction to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young, old, women, and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all peoples to be ready on that day. And the couriers went out by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. You can always tell when somebody has released a bad order, it throws everybody into confusion. All right. We'll see you tonight, Missions Week, in Jesus' name, 7 o'clock sharp. And don't forget Daniel's prayer, 545, 1145, and 